Good morning. There it is. If you push enough buttons on the electronic equipment, eventually it will work. Hey, we are in the book of Acts. We're studying through the book of Acts, verse by verse. We're in chapter 13, Acts chapter 13. Now, that's right after Acts chapter 12. For those of you who've missed a few weeks in a row, <clears throat> it's right after Acts chapter 12. I, I won't point anybody out or call their name. I might. But. <laughs> Tommy raised his hand. Okay, go ahead. Confession's good for the soul, brother. I see that. We sang your favorite song for you, just, just for you. Just, thank you. We tried. <clears throat> Acts chapter 13, verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. That's plural. So there were a lot of prophets and a lot of teachers. And it's going to list some of them. Barnabas, Simon, called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. That is, Herod Antip Antipas. He's the one who killed John the Baptist. Just to put it in context, if you remember the story of John the Baptist losing his head because he stood for the truth. Uh, and Herod didn't like that, so he had him, he had him killed. He martyred him. <clears throat> uh, and Saul was also there, who would later become Paul, named Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and they sent them off. Now, this is a, it's a really great story. It's a story of how the Holy Spirit uh, is our worship leader. You know, a lot of churches will list in their bulletin or on their, their website their worship leader, and they'll put the person's name beside that, and it's worship leader. And I think we all understand what that means, but I, I think we should... We should never have a person's name listed as worship leader. I think every church in America needs to change that and scratch that off and say praise team leader or praise leader. Or back in my day, minister of music. That's what I was called, minister of music. That's right out of the Psalms, the director of music. If you read in the Psalms, you'll see it was the director of music. I think that's more appropriate because the worship, uh, we're led by worship by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John chapter 4, 22 and 23, that they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth, right? And so there's some interpretation about what spirit and truth is, but the bottom line is it's the Holy Spirit that reveals truth. Jesus says he will reveal all truth to you. Matter of fact, he'll remind you of everything I've said. That's what the Holy Spirit says. So the Holy Spirit uh, is indeed our worship leader. And I can see a lot of you fanning, so I'm going to walk over here and turn the air conditioner up just a little bit while I'm talking. There we go. So the Holy Spirit is our worship leader. He's our worship leader this morning. But we have to accept him as our worship leader before we can be led into worship. He's here. He's present right now in our midst. But we have to accept him as our worship leader. You can accept me as a worship leader that's pretty cool. I'm a great guy. I know the Bible, right? Teach it. I love you guys. I'll do anything for any of you. But I'm not the Holy Spirit. 
I'm just a good guy that God appointed to be here as your pastor. We could, uh, we could follow Frank, and lead, who led our music this morning. Frank's a great guy, great musician, great singer, loves the Lord, loves us, loves his family. He's a beautiful man inside and out. But Frank's not the Holy Spirit either, right? And we could follow one of these precious children that we have here, Maddox and Ezekiel. I mean, we've got some beautiful children in the room. They're, they're all amazing, right? But they're still not the Holy Spirit. He is our worship leader. He leads us into true worship. Worship is something we do every day. As a matter of fact, when you're sleeping, you're worshiping. When you're awake, you're worshiping. You ready for this? Husbands, the way you talk to your wife is an act of worship. Wives, the way you respect your husband is an act of worship. Teenagers, uh-oh, I just happened to be looking at you. I'm sorry, but you're sitting down front, Matthew. I'm sorry, but you're a great guy. I know you are. The way we treat our parents is an act of worship. Amen? Right? The way we treat our grandparents or our great-grandparents, that's an act of worship. The way you treat the person in the store, when you open the door for them and let them walk out and you be patient and wait for that, that's an act of worship. And when they don't say thank you, which is normal custom, your next response is an act of worship. Right? That person that cuts you off on Highway 24, going 89 miles an hour, and you're only going 85, right? In the right-hand lane. That next thought you have is an act of worship. You're going to worship something. Everything we do is an act of worship before the Lord. And so that's why it's so important to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us. It's so important to hear the voice of God, whether it's the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit speaking to us. It's not important to divide that up and figure that out. When God speaks, it's important to listen and follow. One of the most important things, if not the most important thing that we learn as Christians is how to hear God's voice. And that's what our ladies are studying on Wednesday nights, every other Wednesday night. If you want to learn more about that, you can, you can show up and be here and learn. But hearing his voice. And his voice is not that mysterious. It's not that complicated. It's, it's really pretty simple. The Holy Spirit is it's really kind of practical. He's the most brilliant person you'll ever meet and get to know. It's just so practical. You can be working on something with your hands and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I, I need to figure this out. And the Holy Spirit will say, well, this is how you do it. I was working on something this week, and it's like, what am I going to do? I don't. And the Holy Spirit said, well, if you just do this, I said, thank you. And I did, and, and it worked great. He's, he's very, very practical. He wants to be practical in your life. If you're concerned about what color socks to put on, guys, listen. If you're concerned about what color socks to put on, here's what you do. Go ask your wife. Because she's already heard from the Holy Spirit on that one. <laughs> Amen? Amen. If you only have one color, that's great. I knew a pastor who only had black suits, white shirts, and a black tie. He said, I never have to make a decision. <laughs> Every morning I get up and put on a black suit, white shirt, black tie. But guys, if you want to know how to dress, ask your wife. She's already heard from the Holy Spirit of how you're supposed to dress. Trust me on that one, right? So we have a worship service going on in Acts chapter 13. We've got prophets and teachers. And that shouldn't surprise us because Paul in Ephesians later on tells us 
that it was Jesus Christ who gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, we use the word pastor today, shepherds, and teachers. Okay, five things. It's called a five-fold ministry. Right? It says he gave them for equipping the church, for building up the saints, right, for growing us up. So it shouldn't surprise us that the early church right here, even before Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 4, the verse I just mentioned, even before that, the Holy Spirit had already kind of arranged this church to be in proper order. And so there were, there were prophets, plural. There were teachers, plural. So how many prophets do we have in the building this morning? How many prophets do we have in our congregation this morning? I would say we have quite a few. Perhaps you just don't know it. Just haven't stepped into it. But some of you walked in this building. You walked in the entryway. You saw the words, the names of God. You stepped into this room and you heard something from God. That's important for all of us to hear. Or important for you to share with some one person this morning. That's what prophets do. It's an encouraging word. And as I'm speaking, some of you are probably hearing right now something you're supposed to tell your neighbor or your friend or, or some family member. And if you're not hearing that, it's okay. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It just means maybe you haven't asked or maybe the Holy Spirit's waiting to a later time to tell you what that is. But some of you are prophets and have something to say this morning. It also says some of you are teachers. How many teachers do we have in the room this morning? Well, Brenda's a teacher. We all know she's a teacher. She teaches in school. But she could teach the Bible just as well. You know, it's the gift of teaching, right? I know some people who are great prophets, but they wouldn't stand up in front of you for a second and try to open their mouth and say anything to you because they're scared to death to be a teacher because that's not their calling. Their calling is to be a prophet who maybe just comes along beside you and says, hey, Mary, I've got a word for you. I just want to encourage you with this. So we, f we find the church, it's the early church, it's the beginning of the church. We find it kind of moving, trying to find out exactly what God's doing with it. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of a worship service, in the midst of the prophets giving prophecy, in the midst of the teachers teaching, the Holy Spirit shows up and says, I've got an assignment uh, for a couple of people to go on a mission trip. And so the Holy Spirit came and said, I need Paul and Barnabas to go on a mission trip. Now Barnabas... We know the first word of B-A-R, because we're going to get to that in a minute. B-A-R means son of. So Barnabas was a son of encouragement. They had, they had given him the name Barnabas. He was a son of encouragement. So he was an encourager. So you got Paul, who's an apostle, prophet, teacher. Paul kind of had all five things going at one time, which is possible. And you had Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to go along with him to be an encourager to help him. Because it was Barnabas, remember, <clears throat> that brought Paul to the disciples when they were scared of him because he'd been killing them. They'd been killing Christians for years. And Barnabas said, you guys need to check this guy out. I think he's a real deal. Listen to him. And they did. And so now these two guys were called out to go on a mission trip. <clears throat> now, I find it interesting in our modern mission movement today that to be a missionary today, you have to go through denominational structures, right? And so... Uh, Debbie and I, years ago, were uh, in a worship service in a church in Macon, Georgia. We had only been married a short time, and <clears throat> we were about five months along with a child in the womb. And the Holy Spirit spoke to us. 
and said, I'm calling you out to be missionaries to go to Ohio, to a little town called Pickerington, to help establish a church that was already there, that had a pastor, and we were to go be the youth and music team, right? And to possibly help plant other churches, which we did. And so we felt the same call. God called us out. We went up there, and God provided a way. I'll tell you a short story on that. We were trying to figure out how to pack up our four rooms of furniture. That's living room, dining room, bedroom, and bathroom, right? We had four rooms. We lived in a little, a little house about the size of this right here, right? And we were in a church as the youth and music directors of that church. And we were trying to figure out how to get our furniture from Macon to Ohio and didn't have, didn't have enough money to rent a big van. But somebody said, you need to go talk to this man that owns a moving company. And tell him what you're planning on doing. Tell him your heart and see what he'll do for you. So I did. We went down to the trading post there in Macon, Georgia. And I sat down with the owner, told him my heart. This is what we're, God's called us to do. He's called us to go out and do this trip. And he looked at me and said, well, I tell you what, if I have a van going in the next two or three weeks to Ohio, he said, I will call you and then I'll take your stuff for you. I said, that's, that's just awesome. Thank you. He said, let me pray for you. So he prayed for me. He's a great Christian man. And that was late that afternoon. Before lunch the next day, he called me. He said, I've got to apologize to you. He said, there I was telling you to have great faith, to trust me in two or three, four weeks, I'll have a van going that way you can go. Because he'd asked me what day I wanted to go. He said, tell me the day you want to go, want to move. And I told him the date I wanted to move. He said, I'll have a van in your front yard on that day at 8 o'clock in the morning. And it won't cost you a thing. Sure enough, he backed a van up in our yard, packed our four rooms you know, they call it the little widow's thing, you know, on the front end of the cab where there's all of our stuff fit up there, right? <laughs> Biggest thing we have is a piano, right? Everything else fit up there. He drove from Macon to Pickerington, Ohio. Actually, we were living in Reynoldsburg. Unloaded all that with an empty van. We, we were the only thing on there, and he paid for all that. And so when the driver gets unloaded, he calls back and talks to the man, Mr. Hicks was his name, and said, we're through. What do we need to do? He said, stay there. He said, a company just called me and wants to move all their stuff from Ohio back down to Macon. And I'm sending four vans that way. And so he got blessed by blessing us, right? It's a very simple thing. We got there, didn't have a job, didn't have anything. We're able to rent an apartment. Can you believe that? Without a, without a job, uh, without anything. Uh, and the lady said, well, sure, I'll, I'll give you this apartment. So we got the apartment. I wound up getting a job at Lazarus Department Store. You ever heard of Lazarus Department Store? Anybody? Okay, kind of like a Belks, right? My job was, you ready for this? You ready for this? Tommy, you ready for this? My job was, I was a security guard. <laughs> Y'all can laugh, it's okay. I was Barney Fife. I had one bullet. Oh, I might just get my bullet out here. Can you see me as a security guard? My job was to stand out on the curb when the employees came in, right, at 8 o'clock, and make sure they parked beyond the yellow line where the employees were supposed to park. I've never been cussed out any more in my life (laughs) than as a Barney Five standing on the curb telling people, go back and move your car on the other side of the yellow line. And they would cuss me out one side. I said, that's fine. You can cuss me out all you want to. I'm going to call a wrecker in five minutes. You got five minutes to move your car. That's what I was told to say. 
after the employees got in, my, the next part of my job was to push a ladder around and dust off light bulbs and look for shoplifters from a ladder, right, with a duster. <laughs> now, you put that back. Right? <laughs> with a duster. Seriously? A duster, a feather duster. That's just not right, Daniel. You know what I'm saying? You need something bigger, right? Anyway, that was our call to missions back in the day. God called us out and separated us out. So while we were there, we started another church in Lancaster, Ohio, and we started it in a, wall, in, a, in a McDonald's. And it was called the McDonald's Church. That was kind of the beginning name of it because we met in the corner of McDonald's. And I felt so led to become the pastor of that church. I just couldn't get away from it. And so I called the home mission board that had sponsored us. We were mission service corps volunteers. We raised our own funds. And I called them up and said, I just got this passion to pastor this church. What's my next step? They said, well, you only have a college degree. You don't have a master's degree, so we can't really sponsor you. I said, huh? You don't have the right degree to be a pastor of a church. And they had, I'd given my life. By that time, I'd been involved in ministry 10 years, 12 years, right? I was fully involved in ministry and serving the Lord, and I wasn't qualified, according to them. Broke my heart, but I figured they knew what they were talking about. So we packed up from Ohio and went to seminary, right? Got my three-year degree in seminary, right? I wonder what would happen if Paul and Barnabas had been called out, and they went before the teachers and prophets and elders of the church and said, hey, we feel led to go to the mission field. And they said, well, Paul, you've got a little more education than Barnabas, but neither one of you have been through seminary. Uh, you're going to have to wait. What would the world look like without Paul and Barnabas going on their mission trip? Right? Right? So here's my point in that. We're all called to be missionaries every day. You're, you're a missionary, Heather. You're, you're a missionary. You don't have an, an option. God chose you to be a missionary. He said, I like you, Heather, and I think you'll be a great missionary. So I'm going to send you out every day to your job. And I'm going to give you a son that you can be a missionary to as well and train him up in the Lord. And I'm going to give you some friends and a, and a sister who really needs to know Jesus. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing, Savannah. We're all missionaries. You don't have to go to seminary to do that. You don't have to be sponsored by a denomination to do that. Just open your mouth and let the Holy Spirit speak. Right? Now, some people may be called to go to a different location and be a missionary. Like Debbie and I, back in the day when we were called to Ohio, just knew that's what God wanted us to do. Right? Some, people, some people get that. Some don't. It's, it's not whether you're good or bad or right or wrong or the best or not the best. It's just God's plan. He, he looks and says, I think, I think Jim and Debbie will be a great fit for Ohio in this particular time in their life, in this particular time in the life of that church and those churches. And quite possibly, I missed it when he wanted me to be the pastor of that church in Lancaster, Ohio, and I just, I just missed it because I didn't understand completely like I do now better understand that God calls people whether they're qualified or not <laughs> he calls you then he qualifies you right he calls you then he equips you 
Nothing wrong with going to seminary and Bible school and all that. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes God calls us and separates us out to go do something. And if he does that, he's already got you, he's already got you equipped for it. Now, you can be called out at Walmart. Do you know that? You can be going through Walmart, shopping, you know, buying something plastic, right? <coughs> that's going to fill a landfill up later on down the road, right? And, and you can be minding your own business, and somebody walk by, and boom, God says, go speak to them. That happens to me all the time. I mean, and I love doing it. I love going to stores and just walk around and say, God, what are we going to do next? I did this week. I was out. I said, God, I just need, I need to pray for somebody. I, I need to pray for somebody. Who can I pray for? I just need to pray for somebody. I kept crying out to God. I want to pray for somebody. He said, pull in here. So I pulled in the store and walked in and went over and talked to the person I know. I said, hey, how you doing? Well, I'm like, yes, that's why I'm here. <laughs> she told me what was going on in her life. I said, come here. We're going to pray right now. Right in front of God and everybody, we just prayed. And I encouraged her. And I left. I said, where are we going to go now? Where are we going now? It's, it's fun. It's every day. You can, we can all do it. But the second, the second part of the story is there's going to be some opposition. Okay. So the two of them set out on their way to the Holy Spirit. Uh, by the Holy Spirit. Very good. He's our worship leader. They went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, that is John Mark, was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Remember that word Bar I told you about earlier? Barnabas, Bar-Jesus. He had, he had named himself son of Jesus. That's what bar Jesus means. So he had chosen that name, son of Jesus. And that was a mockery, right? It was an antichrist, an antichrist name that he gave himself. I'm the son of Jesus. Right? So he was opposing Jesus. Who was an attendant of the proconsul, in other words, the mayor, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul was an intelligent man, not intelligent enough to realize he had a sorcerer, a witch or a warlock helping him, but he was an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, once again the Holy Spirit was leading in worship, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind, and for a time you'll be un unable to see the light of the sun. Had Paul, did Paul know anything about blindness? Right. He was blinded right, for three days. Immediately, mist and darkness came over the sorcerer, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. <coughs> here's the thing. Here's, here's the truth for you. When you go tell people about Jesus, there's going to be some opposition. And that shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't stun you. You shouldn't go, oh, my God, there's opposition in my life. That shouldn't happen. Jesus said, hey, if they oppose me, they're going to oppose you. Get over it. 
pull up your big boy pants and go on, right? If you oppose me, I oppose you. Anytime you're sharing the truth of Jesus Christ, anytime you're sharing the truth of the Bible in a lost, fallen world, you're going to have opposition. It's going to come against you. I don't know if you read this week, but there's a, there's a, a witch coven, that is a group of witches, who have vowed to cast spells on Brett Kavanaugh, right, the new justice, right? They, they're going to cast spells on him, right, and, and other people. They named all some other folks. They're, they're standing in opposition to who he is. That shouldn't surprise any Christian in the world, right? Regardless of what happened with that situation with him, regardless of that, when you proclaim the truth, when you are the truth in people's lives, there's going to be opposition. They will stab you in the back. They will stab you in the face. Right? They will stab you in the side. They will stab your family just to try to stab you. Don't be surprised at that. Just know that there's going to be opposition. And be like Paul, you son of the devil. Who do you think you are? I serve the king of kings and lord of lords who made you. And I will make you blind so that you repent. When's the last time you were that bold to opposition in your life? When was, that, when was the last time you were that bold to the enemy, not a person, to the enemy in your life? When you knew, when you knew some demon was giving you a hard time, when's the last time you looked at him and said, if you don't quit messing with me, I will make you blind. And you will have to grope around in darkness because that's your destiny anyway. You got to grope around in darkness just to find your way. That's fortitude. That's living life of fortitude. Love God, love yourself, love others, and love creation. And love it enough to stand up to evil. You know, evil will always prevail when good men... And women keep their mouth shut. Right. Oh, so you want me to say that again in Spanish? <laughs> Evil will always prevail when good men and women and teenagers yeah. keep their peace. Debbie and I were called to a church one time years and years ago. And we got there at 1st of November. And by Christmas time, Debbie had put together a children's program that was outstanding. Music, we were going to do a little children's thing for Christmas. They didn't have any children in this church when we got there. We brought two in. There was one there. And by Christmas, we had 25. First week, of, and, and Sunday, the Sunday morning crowd had doubled. First week of the year, I was called into a deacon's meeting, which is two hours before church time, worst time to have a deacon's meeting. Normally, regularly scheduled deacons meeting. And they said, we've got some things we want to talk about. We want to dismiss you. Well, I was dumb and stupid and <laughs> ignorant. So I said, oh, great. They're going to give me a raise. Look how things are growing, you know. <laughs> buy me a car, you know, whatever. <laughs> An hour later, right before service started, they came. The chairman deacon said, well, there's a lynch mob ready to hang you. And I'm trying to stop them. That's the exact words. A lynch mob ready to hang you. And I'm trying to stop them. What are the charges? Well, the people you're bringing into the church aren't the right kind of people. Wrong side of the track. I wasn't standing at the right door to shake hands 
There were three doors. I rotated the doors, right? You know, I saw, I saw three different groups going out thinking these three groups don't like each other, so they go out to different doors. So I'm going to get involved in all three groups live and try to bring them together, right? That's what a pastor does. I wasn't standing at the right door. We didn't sing Silent Night at the right time at the Christmas Eve service. We didn't sing it last. We sang it next to last. Did away in a manger last. I could go on with a list, but that was a list. So there was a move to get us fired. And one little lady came up to us after service one Sunday, along about February. She said, you folks, just be patient. The silent majority is for you. I said, the silent majority will get me hung, using their metaphor. And it did. Middle of March, heated deacons meeting. Five of them want me to stay. Five of them want me to go. Them arguing with those, screaming, yelling. There'd been a fist fight the week before in church service. People mad about the whole thing. Not with me, with some other people. I just took out a piece of paper and said, I'm out of here. Handed it to him and walked out. You see, it's the silent majority in churches. It's the silent majority in, in families. It's the silent majority in America that knows the truth, believes the truth, but are keeping their mouth shut. That's going to send this country to a place none of us really want it to go. And it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with me telling people about Jesus. It all starts with you telling people about Jesus. Teenagers, if you're not telling people about Jesus, you need to. Adults, if you're not telling people about Jesus, you need to. You know, there's a great debate going on right now among preachers that you don't ever read or know anything about. It's a great debate. How important is the Old Testament? Shouldn't we just be preaching the New Testament? Here's my point. It all goes back to Jesus. It's not about Genesis. It's not about Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Chronicles, so forth and so on. It's not about Revelation. It's about Jesus. Because Jesus was before all of that. Right? Right? Jesus was before Genesis. So it doesn't matter in Genesis whether humans walked with dinosaurs. If you want to study that, great. That's fine. It doesn't matter if it was six days, seven days, 60 days, 60 million years, all this stuff we're debating right now. It doesn't matter. It's important to understand that, yes. But it doesn't matter in the end. It's what did you know about Jesus? When you get to heaven, God's not going to ask you, so what's your creational stance? What do you believe? Was it six days and he rested? Was it 60,000 years and he rested? He's not going to ask you that. He's going to explain it to you. This is what I did. Bam, it was. All right. He's going to say, what did you do with Jesus? And if our conversation with people starts with Genesis, we're already in trouble. It must start with Jesus. And when you know Jesus, the rest of it kind of makes sense. It makes sense why God would create his creation like he did. It makes sense why he chose Israel. It makes sense why... We have all the stories that we have. But man, without Jesus, it's not going to make sense. The debate ends and begins with Jesus. He is the alpha, the beginning, and the end. The author and of our faith. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. Father, it's not about what we believe about Genesis or Revelation. It's about what we believe about you. That you, Jesus, you are God's son. We give you thanks for that. You died on the cross, we give you thanks for that. You rose again, we give you thanks for that. You covered our sins, we give you thanks for that. And you live in our lives today, if we allow you to, we give you thanks for that. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Father, you are the most benevolent person I know. Thank you, Jesus. You're the bravest man that I know. You took all the sin and suffering of the world into yourself. And died on a cruel cross just for us. Thank you. And thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the most brilliant person that I know. So come be our teacher, Holy Spirit. You're brilliant. Come be our teacher. Come teach us now. Come lead us now. Come encourage us now. Come convict us now. Whatever we need, Holy Spirit. Just come and have your way. Please, just come and have your way. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come lead us in worship. Lead us here. Lead us where we go into worship. That it might bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.